Thank you, Lord. Lord, I just pray now, Lord, that um, the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart will be acceptable in your sight, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Well, this is... Um, would you like to read this um, scripture for us, James? It's uh, Mark 3, beginning at verse 20. And uh, it goes on to the end of 30. Okay, no. Mark three twenty, through to, yeah, right to the end of 30, okay. Then Jesus entered a house, and again a crowd gathered, so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said, he is out of his mind. And the teachers of the law who came down from Jerusalem said, he is possessed by Beelzebul, the prince of demons. Oh, by the prince of demons, he is driving out demons. So Jesus called them over to him and began to speak to them in parables. How can Satan drive out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan opposes himself and is divided, he cannot stand. His end has come. In fact, no one can enter a strong man's house without first tying him up. Then he can plunder the strong man's house. Truly I tell you, people can be forgiven all their sins and every slander they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. They are guilty of an eternal sin. He said this because they were saying, he has an impure spirit. Well, there's some difficult stuff in there. <clears throat> well, I found it difficult anyway. But as I looked at this scripture, and forgive me for, for not putting up a... PowerPoint, because um, I'm not very good at that sort of thing. Um, so you'll just have to put up with me droning on. Uh, <clears throat> when I looked at it, I noticed that this passage is more or less divided into three themes, three sections. And the first bit was when Jesus' family, I put Jesus' family and familiarity... When Jesus' family came, they wanted to cart him away and take him home because they thought he'd lost it, quite honestly. Why do you think Jesus' family behaved the way they did? You see, you can be familiar with someone but not fully know and understand them. Jesus was just Jesus, family. And I know what you're thinking. Well, what about what the angel said to his mother, Mary? About who he would be and what he would do. And what about his brothers, who had probably been present in the synagogue 
when Isaiah 61 was read that particular morning and Jesus said, this word has become fact in your sight. Do you remember the one? Just read it to you. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. So why did they behave like they did? If that what Jesus had come to do, why did they behave the way they did? Why treat him as if he were mad? The answer is because unless you were born of the Spirit, nothing makes sense. You can read the Bible until you're blue in your face. But it's, unless it's inspired to your spirit by the Holy Spirit, it, it won't make sense. It won't become real. It won't, the power of God will not have effect in your life. I thought about Jesus and Nicodemus. Now, Nicodemus was, was a Pharisee. And just before you run away with the idea that all, um, that all Pharisees were not good... Um, that's not exactly true. It certainly didn't apply in Nicodemus' case. And he, he was a member of the Sanhedrin as well. He was a godly man, but at that time, he wasn't born again. And Jesus actually said to him, and you, you are Israel's leader, and you don't understand this. You said, you see that until we're born again, those around us don't understand fully what's taking place. Unless you're born, you don't fully understand what's taking place in someone else's life. And I remember when Penny and I gave our lives to the Lord, my family who, to all intents and purposes, were godly people. I'd been brought up in the Church of England. I'd been taught to go to Sunday school and um, engage in communion classes and uh, all that sort of thing. But they didn't understand. They thought we'd flipped especially when we were baptized in the Holy Spirit. They thought this was something extremely dodgy and that we ought to keep away from it. So that's what was going on with Jesus and his family. And let's look at the next bit. The accusations of the teachers of the law. And I put jealousy against that. They said he has an evil spirit. And you heard what Jesus' response was. He said, 
but that makes no sense. That's ridiculous. If I've been doing what I'm doing, using Satan's power, why is Satan driving out Satan? That's madness. A house divided against itself will fall. It finishes itself off. The religious leaders are displaying jealousy towards Jesus' popularity. So they sling accusations against him. And in Proverbs 27, it says, anger is cruel and fury overwhelming, but who can stand before jealousy? Unable to complete, compete, rather, they fling accusations, basically to scare others off. Because many of those teachers of the law um, were in league with the Romans, and they didn't want their peace disturbed certainly by this charismatic rabbi who was teaching the people all the things that they should have been doing. So, let's get to the, the next bit. Now, I'll just carry on with, with that bit. Jesus had authority to bind Satan, which, which is what he was saying about the strong man, to bind Satan's rule in people's lives and set them free. He still does. Uh, I don't want to cross swords with the medical profession, but in many cases, what is attributed to mental illness these days is satanic interference, let's put it that way. And people can be delivered of what is afflicting them and set free. Would you like an example of that? Years ago, I was on a worship leaders course and one of the guys on the course with me um, he was worship leading at Pip and Jim's Walderslade. But there was something, shall we put, shall we say, not very manly about him. And uh, on one occasion, he asked me and a friend of mine if we would meet and pray with him. And um, the Lord gave me instruction um, before we prayed with him. And he, and he told me what the problem was. He told me that this man needed to be cut off from his family line. So as we prayed for him, obedient to the Lord, I said, I cut you off from your family line in the name of Jesus. This thing leapt across the room, room at me, snarling. Oh. My friend was praying, uh, 
quite earnestly, as you could probably imagine. And I said, come out of him in the name of Jesus. And he flopped back. And from that moment on, he was a different guy. Do you know what was in his family line? Freemasonry. That was the root of the problem. And he was delivered of that. He went on to become a family man and to become a church leader. Like I said, Jesus still does it today. The incident shows the state of the religious leaders' hearts, actually, what was transpiring then. They would rather see Jesus accused than see people set free. The third part of this, this uh, scripture is really dealing with offense against the Holy Spirit. And this is where Jesus gets quite tough. You know, many people say to me, oh, there's a difference between the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament. The God of the New Testament is gentle and kind and, yeah, it's the same God. By attributing Jesus' healing to Satan's power rather than the Holy Spirit, the religious leaders had crossed the line. Have you heard sort of um, um, uh, politicians and the like talk about red lines? Yeah. It's the point that, you know, if somebody crosses one of these red lines that have been set down, then, you know, they put themselves in a place where um, confrontation is going to take place. The religious leaders had crossed the line with God. Jesus was telling them that there was no way back for them. That's pretty serious, isn't it? And we have to understand that with God, there is a limit. Now, I'd be stopping there. But interestingly, during the night, I sensed the Lord was speaking to me. And he basically told me that that was not all there was. And he took me back into Luke 15. I know we're doing Mark right now. And the parable of the prodigal son. I prefer to call it the parable of the loving father because that's what it's all about. So what about us now? I sense that the father wanted to say, this is, this is what I want, I want you to tell them because this is who I am and how I look upon them. Now I expect many of you know that story quite well. I do because it was continually to the fore uh, during the time that I was giving my life to the Lord. And uh, you'll know that 
that there was a man who had two sons, and the younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Now, <clears throat> that was pretty serious stuff, not to be taken lightly. And I've learned that in Eastern culture, not only was that a no-no, but it was unforgivable. Are you hearing? Unforgivable. There was, to a father in Eastern culture, that son would then have become dead. And there would be no possibility for future reconciliation. Now notice what the parable said. It says that the, the, the young man went off and spent all the money in riotous living and then finished up penniless and gave him himself to, to a, a farmer that raised pigs. And uh, the best he could do was um, um, he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that, that the pigs were eating. So that's, that's the the depth to which he'd sunk. And suddenly, it came into his right mind, it says. And he said, I will arise and go to my father and say, Father, I've sinned before heaven and before you, and I'm no more worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. Because it <laughs> at least he, he knew he'd get something to eat. Notice the difference there. He starts off by saying, give me. And then when he comes into his right mind, when he humbles himself, when he confesses his sin before Father, it says, make me. What a difference. <clears throat> but the next thing is the response of the father. It says that when he was a long way off, the father saw him and ran to him. And this is what our Heavenly Father does for us. Sometimes we think that we've sought after God. Very often it's the other way around, that God's seeking after us. He ran to him and he flung his arms around him and the son came out with his prepared speech. And what does the father say? I should jolly well think so. About time, yeah, yeah you're going to have to earn your way back now. No, he actually doesn't say a thing. Well, he does, but to his servants. And he says, quick, bring him the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Because this son of mine was lost and he's now found. He's dead and now he's alive. Jesus is talking about your heavenly Father 
and how he responds to you. You see, you don't have to wait when you come to the Father and, and desire that restoration. You don't have to serve an apprenticeship. He didn't say to his servant, bring him any old bit of clothing you can find and stick it on him. He said, no, bring him the best robe. Now, think about the picture. It says that when the son was a long way off, the father ran to him. So he was nowhere near his sort of home village at the time. So when the son walks back into the village, he's clothed in his father's garment, no longer looking like a beggar, no longer looking like a pauper, no longer looking like a down and out, but as a redeemed son. So put a ring on his finger, give him the authority back that I desired for my creation right from the beginning and put sandals on his feet. He's not a slave. He's a son. And what's the father do? When they get back, <clears throat> he throws the biggest bash you've ever seen. When you give your life to Jesus, when that transformation takes place in your life, The Father in heaven throws a party. That's what your heavenly dad's like. That's how much he loves you. That's how much he desires you. So if you've never experienced that, come forward after I've finished and there will be people to, to pray with you. Or even if things have got a little bit cold and stale, you might want to come back to the Father again and say, Dad, you know, rekindle the fire. What was it we were singing early on? Light that fire again, Lord. Restore that fellowship between you and me. I just think that's the most wonderful story that Jesus ever told. And it tells us of the love of God and his love for his lost creation. So let's bless him and thank him in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Father, we want to thank you from the bottom of our hearts that you love us with an everlasting love, you say in your word. An everlasting, forever lasting love. Thank you that your desire is for us. Thank you, Lord, that you reach out to us and give us the opportunity to restore our relationship with you.
We thank you for Jesus dying on that cross of Calvary to make all that possible, Lord. And we bless you and we thank you in your mighty name. Amen.